Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using the science. I heart the science. <laughs> Don't I heart it. Heart it. Heart it. Good. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa, Iowa City. I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't conform quickly enough. Welcome to a new year, you guys. How very, very exciting. I've missed all your shiny faces. Oh, is it shiny? Did I need to wash it a little bit better today? <laughs> I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't know why I said that, but a new episode today, Jacob is going to bring us something fantastic, I'm sure, in pop and culture. Then in the academic deep dive, we're going to discuss the academic article, Hiding Success. Mm. And then in good or bad advice, we're going to discuss some advice we found on social media. Very, very exciting. If you have advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachedpodcast. Or you could just go to the World Wide Web, our website, attachedpodcast.com, and send us a message right there. Also, we are now on YouTube this season to all of the episodes are going up live on YouTube. So please remember to smash that subscribe button on YouTube, uh, especially if you want to continually see our beautiful shiny faces uh, do this, <laughs> this podcast. I'm just kidding. They're not shiny. They're very normal. I did get some new beard oil for Christmas. Maybe that's what you're seeing. Oh, oh so fancy. So fancy. <laughs> Before we get to all of that, happy new year again. Welcome back. It's lovely to see you. What have you guys been up to? So I think, what was it? Maybe a few episodes ago, I talked about how wonderful our child was sleeping. How <laughs> he was going down <laughs> and then sleeping for 10 hours straight. And it was the thing of miracles. Indeed. I'm here to report that it was all a mirage. <laughs> it was all fake. And it's not uh. real. <laughs> <laughs> it tempted me and it made me believe there was light at the end of the tunnel. But dear listeners, there dear is listeners. no light. There is no light. <laughs> oh. no, is this is this birth control? Is this what 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 you're spewing here? It, it might be. It might be. I mean, <laughs> the crazy thing is, is he goes to bed at his like his like approved time at like you know seven thirty ish or whatever. And he sleeps for like two hours and then he wakes up and wants to be up for the next two hours and doesn't think he should go back to bed because it's just a nap. And he just woke up from his nap and it's not bedtime. <laughs> the first year. Oh, but other than that, he's really cute. I mean, Absolutely. that's the only thing that's the saving grace at this point. Yes. That's why but, they make them so cute. That's why they make them yeah, cute. They, keep, they would keep you to. coming back. Yeah. yeah. But other than that, other than not sleeping very much, we have just been blanketed under snow we got about eight inches the other day and oh so snow plus pandemic means plus not going anywhere means we've just been watching a lot of television so i have so many episodes so prepared to talk about in pop and culture for like the next 
10 episodes at least. <laughs> That's good. That'll take us a to busy the end month. of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Fantastic. Woods, how has your break between podcast apps recording been? Good, actually. I took an actual vacation. I know. I had heard somebody say, like, when's the last time you actually took a vacation? Just like overhearing or reading somewhere. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I've not taken any vacation days in the whole 2020. And so uh, I took the last week and it was lovely and amazing. And the start of 2021 has brought me a new niece, my first niece. I know. I know. My brother and sister-in-law had a new baby girl just yesterday and she is gorgeous and so we are very much looking forward to meeting her because she is perfect and my daughter is very excited to have a girl cousin and a cousin in the area oh yay that is such happy news i know i know congratulations to them so our break brought not eight inches of snow but we got about four inches of snow here in knoxville tennessee on Christmas Eve. Wow. Oh, cool. It was, which gave me my first white Christmas ever. Oh my goodness. Really? Yeah, that's so exciting. I mean, I live, grew up in Georgia, <laughs> lived some time in Florida. The furthest north I've ever lived was Chicago, but I did it for grad school and I came back home to Georgia every Christmas. True. So I've never actually had a white Christmas. So Aww. that was very, very fun. And it was cold enough that it stuck around for about two or three days. So the fam and the kids, we, the back behind their house, we have a very, very steep hill. So we just like sled the heck out of that hill. That's so fun. Awesome. A lot of fun. My seven-year-old was obsessed with it. She loved it so much. My four-year-old would do it once. And he was like, no, I'm good. Like on the third day we all went out and then he was like, I'm just going to stay inside and watch TV. We're like, I respect, respect it. (laughs) (laughs) A southerner at heart. (laughs) Yeah, I know exactly. He's like, I'm good. No, thank you. But by the last day, it was really icy, right? So Mm -hmm. it was just like that Christmas vacation where they just fly super fast down. That was definitely, that was definitely the experience. (laughs) Uh, Maybe a little dangerous, but it's fine. (laughs) No one, no one got hurt. There was a lot of laughter and made a snowman. And thankfully my husband is from- the mountains of Maryland. So he knows like the ins and outs of snow. <laughs> I was just like white stuff. Oh, very interesting. Like he he knows it so well that our kids actually have snow pants and snow suits, even though we get snow twice a year. He's like, no, we need snow. I mean, we, this is something that all children need. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like mm-hmm. growing up in the South, like if it snowed, it was like, um, socks emergency for, for gloves. Like I didn't have, I didn't have any like winter gear. <laughs> So we have all of the winter gear, even though we only get snow, if we're lucky, twice a year. Aw. But it was fun. It was fun. super fun. Absolutely. Any snow for you, uh, Woods? <laughs> no. <laughs> we did get some rain the last few days, which was sad, but it's sunny again. So. Oh, beautiful. How fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First up, pop and culture. We learn about relationships from our friends and our family, but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture. For this first segment, we always like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships. Jacob, 
what do you have for us this first episode of 2021 stakes are high what do you got okay well <laughs> i think i am going to see that bar and jump clear over oh, it oh wow because today we are journeying to shondaland to Always talk promising. about bridgerton yes <laughs> good okay. accent that was good <laughs> um, was that supposed to be an english accent maybe i don't know i don't know the one thing i particularly um, always enjoy about shondaland and, and i'm sure this is not what you're going to talk about is shondaland whoever her casting director is their capacity to consistently cast extremely attractive hot guys is uh, unprecedented it's it's remarkable but what were you gonna say jacob <laughs> oh actually that's what i was gonna talk about <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> yeah. i mean it makes sense i mean simon the duke of haste seems mm. yes Del- a, a delicious uh young gentleman yeah he came onto the screen and i just said like i hate you like <laughs> i hate you like nobody can ever look like that that's not real my reaction yeah, was the opposite my reaction was the opposite interesting but we do want to talk a little bit about Simon, the Duke of Hastings, who, if you haven't seen a picture of him, like you probably should. He's a very attractive man. He's a very attractive man. I want to talk about a concept that I think Bridgerton demonstrates really well, which is the idea of destructive entitlement. Destructive entitlement. Okay. Yes. So please explain. Please define. Yes. Patricia, if you remember back to your master degree days at Purdue University in our, was it multi-generational theories oh. course? Yes, with, with Joe, Dr. Joe Wetchler. With Dr. Joe Wetchler. And we talked about contextual family therapy, right? And contextual family therapy, one of the key concepts is this idea of destructive entitlement. Meaning, right. basically, it's this is a little oversimplification, but because you were wronged, you can do something that is destructive and it should be validated and it should be okay. I'm going to give some spoilers out. So if you haven't watched Bridgerton and you would like to, Sarah Woods, please just jump forward about three minutes and that'll be all of it. Right? So one of the main characters is the very attractive (laughs) Simon, the Duke of Hastings. And his father was a total piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to describe it, right? He wanted nothing to do with him because when Simon was little, he stuttered a little bit. So he said, if you're not perfect, you can't be my heir. I don't want to see you. He didn't really care. His Simon's dad didn't really care about his mom. He was fine when she died. Simon was isolated and he was growing up and he hated his dad. Yeah. Right. So his dad's on his deathbed. And he looks at his dad because all his dad ever wanted was for the Hastings line to continue. There will always be a Hastings boy to inherit the title of the Duke of Hastings. Because he hates his dad, he looks at his dad and says, I will never bear a son, right? So that's this vow he makes to his dad on his deathbed because he hates his dad so much. Yeah. I think he said the word sired a son. I like Baird is is a little less... um... Yeah. Farmy, farmy, yeah. As as luck would have it, of course, Simon, the Duke of Hastings, falls in love. And as part of the hijinks of the season. Jinx. <laughs> indeed, indeed. You're right. Love is a hijinks. Continue. <laughs> I don't take this seriously at all. Go on. His soon-to-be wife, Daphne Bridgerton, hence the name of the show, Bridgerton. Wow. He tells her, I can never have children. And... Wow. 
just like that, I can never have children. Mm -hmm. And Daphne interprets that as he physically cannot sire a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When in fact, he is very much capable of siring a child. So that process of having this sense of hatred and destructive entitlement creates even more hijinks throughout the season, which we won't talk about because they're interesting and very dramatic and- And very not kid appropriate. So when you, if you watch this, make sure your kids are out of the room. Especially for episode six, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyway, I think that's a concept that's important to understand. Sometimes when we feel that we have been wronged, we feel that we are entitled to perpetrate that wrong on other people, that our negative experiences and relationships allow us to dictate what our relationship should be and gives us power or authority to determine what is correct and what is not. This can be really unhealthy because you will then, like Simon the Duke of Hastings, oftentimes create narratives that are not necessarily open about what's going on to try to ensure that you can have control of a situation that eventually is probably gonna come back to hurt you or people you love. So when you have been wronged in a relationship, you wanna be very careful not to take that out on other people. I think it's important to learn and to grow from that, but to use that to hide or keep secrets or to control a specific situation can be really damaging, you know, and in, there's a variety of hurts that somebody can experience in a relationship. And if we take that pain and we use it to inflict pain on others, it's really just perpetuating that sense of hurt that we had that we didn't enjoy, that we didn't like, and inflicting it on somebody that we love and we want to be close to. When you've experienced pain in a relationship, I think it's really important to make sure or to try to ensure that you can deal with that pain, let others know about that pain so it doesn't become something that festers in a relationship Mm -hmm. and can eventually lead, as you would see in Bridgerton, to lots more hijinks or (laughs) real world problems. So (laughs) destructive entitlement, bad. Bridgerton, very good. (laughs) Definitely recommend the watch. But like Patricia said, don't watch it with your kids. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. But an excellent watch. And I, I, I really like the, your take-home message there, Jacob. Very articulate. Destructive entitlement is bad. Oh, classy. <laughs> Chef's kiss. The knowledge you get from this podcast is just amazing. <laughs> like, you listen after, you know, you know the, like all the years I struggled through graduate school and tenure just to share destructive entitlement is bad. Like that's what it takes to get to this point. Yes, yes. I wish I would have known that all those papers we had to write for Joe, I could have just fin- done them in one sentence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just so powerful. It is. I, I'm just have nuggets of wisdom. It's, the, it's not enough <laughs> right. that the word destructive is in the title. It didn't, that didn't get us there. It was... Is bad is piece bad. that really yeah, finished yeah, yeah. it. The, the, the fantastic wording. Oh, beautiful. Now we're going to move to our academic deep dive segment and talk about a new paper called Hiding Success, recently published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. 
recently published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. The research describes the results of eight, let me repeat that, eight different studies conducted by Annabelle Roberts and Dr. Emma Levine at the University of Chicago and Dr. Ovul Caesar at UNC Chapel Hill. This interesting research explores what happens when people experience success, but keep that good news to themselves. Specifically, while we may be driven to self-promotion in order to share about what happens to us that is good, that need may feel in conflict with how our friends and family may react to that success. Could they feel jealous, maybe threatened? Could they feel badly about themselves? Or could they think that we're bragging or self-centered by talking about our good news? If we're afraid that that could happen, we might be more likely to keep our good news to ourselves. This kind of reminds me a touch about our capitalization that we talked about in season one. This means hiding our success is often driven by good intentions. We want to protect our relationships with other people. But these researchers in this current study decided to explore the possible costs, so the downside to our relationships of deciding to hide our success. Sarah, eight studies, my oh my, they were busy. And, and just to give some a little bit of context, multiple studies is kind of common in psychology. Eight studies is a heck of, of a lot. So that's really, really impressive. Can you help us out by breaking down how these researchers explored the consequences of hiding success from the people we care about and what they found? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're definitely right, Patricia. It definitely is. It's sort of the flip side of capitalization, which is this process we've talked about in prior episodes where when we have good news to share, when something good happens to us and we share it with somebody else. And that partner responds warmly and enthusiastically and is really excited for us, then we get additional benefits for ourselves of that initial good news, but also our relationship benefits. And that process when we engage in it is not only normative, but predicts positive outcomes for those relationships. So this is sort of the opposite, the consequences for these relationships of when we have good news, but we hide it. And so these researchers think about hiding success as this self-deprecating process where we're downplaying rather than highlighting our own achievements. Mm. And that is because like you described, Patricia, these competing needs to be perceived as competent, but also to be perceived as warm and likable and that those things can be at odds with each other. So we're deceiving people, but for for good reasons. It's something that they suggest might be especially problematic if sharing is normative, which it it might Mm. be more likely to be, for example, in one-on-one conversations with people we're really close to. But in general, their pilot research showed that this is something that's very common. 82% of their kind of baseline research showed that people hide success of all forms from all types of relationships. So it's a really interesting concept and one that I can identify with personally. Yeah. Uh, so across <laughs> across eight, eight, these eight studies, um, most of them were experiments. Uh, so they intentionally tried to manipulate some of these ideas to see what would come out for a total sample size across all these studies of 1,687. Yeah. So they looked at actual relationship 
relationship partners. And that was mixed group, like friends, romantic partners. And they also explored the consequences of hiding success in close versus distant relationships. They looked at sharing versus hiding when the success is previously known versus unknown by the person who's learning about it. They looked at how it affected trust and cooperation in real world settings. And then, um, Oh, sorry, as well as hiding success in public context versus private mm-hmm. ones. They, they, yeah, they really kind of looked at this from multiple different facets. They especially explore this mechanism of paternalistic motives. Like when, how do the people we hide success from think about why we are hiding that success? And does it influence how we feel about people keeping their good news from us? Why do we think that they're doing that. They also looked at hiding success in response to being asked directly versus indirectly about it. So I'm going to give just kind of an example of what one of these studies looked like rather than break down all eight and be here for four hours and (laughs) watch those listening statistics just drop. Um, So one of their studies looked at known pairs. So people that knew each other before the study started. Okay. So there's two people, the communicator who has this success experience and the target, that's how they refer to them, the person that is having that success hidden from them. So the first person, the communicator answers questions about their relationship with that target, how close they are, how long they've known them. Um, And then they get asked a question about, please choose an event that is a personal positive event for you, but that, that target person does not know about. Describe that success make sure it's recent, something you're proud of, something you think is impressive, et cetera. And then they are supposed to rate how much they would want the target to read their response. So the researchers made clear that they know that their response could be shared so they could opt Mm -hmm. out of the project if they want. But in general, describe something they don't know about that you're proud of and how much you would want them to read your response. And then they pass the tablet to the target. I just, I I know, I just am thinking about these undergrads who maybe ran this study and are like ready for the second step now, pass the the tablet, pass the tablet, pass the tablet answer. So that target answers the same questions about the relationship, which those answers are not shared. And then the target learns that their communicator, their partner answered a question about a personal positive event in their life and that they rated how much they wanted to share what they wrote. So then the pairs are randomly assigned to either share or hide, regardless of the communicator's preferences for having oh. that success shared. Yeah. They did not, as far as I understand their description, they did not end up sharing that information, but they displayed the question that the partner was asked. And then they were told either that the communicator, the person who experienced success, indicated they did not want to share the response to this question with you, or they were shown that that person wanted to share their response to this question with you. And that was randomly assigned or randomly assigned regardless of what the communicator said. So I could say absolutely do not show that person. And my partner might have been told that I really wanted to share it with them, which leaves me in an awkward situation five minutes after the study's over. And they're like, okay, so I'm ready. I'm ready to hear what was your success. (laughs) So then they were asked to the, what extent do you feel insulted by this, offended Mm. by this person, feel angry with them, how close to them, also how envious of them do you feel, how happy for them. And then they were given a $1 Amazon gift card and asked, how much are you willing to pay to send a friendly e-card greeting to the communicator? Meaning you could write them a nice little message that could maybe bring you closer and you have up to a dollar, you could spend as much as you want or you could keep it. And in general, what they found was that the targets felt more insulted 
by and less close to communicators who hid rather than wanted to share their success. Okay. Um, they felt less happy for them also if, if they thought that their partner didn't want to share. Um, I know you experienced success, but I'm not very happy for you about it because <laughs> you didn't want to, you didn't want to share you. with me. Good for and you. Good <laughs> Best of luck. And they were willing to pay less money to send that friendly, friendly greeting card to their partner. And I will send one cent. <laughs> Yeah. It's, I'm going to take that Amazon, that $1 Amazon gift card, and I'm going to do absolutely nothing else with it, but you're sure not going to get it. Um, so it had negative consequences for their relationship, for their partner's emotional well-being, and their behavior towards their partner. Oh, yeah. Cause yeah. Because Amazon. Amazon, right? Because yeah. Amazon gift card. Which is uh, sounds so small when you think about how petty you would have to be to keep that dollar. <laughs> So in general, across all these studies, they found that the consequences of hiding success are negative across the board, less trust in the relationship. They see their partner or their, their hypothetical other person as a less desirable collaborator. They don't want to necessarily work with an academic oh, who hides wow. their success as one, one study. They Lots of decreased closeness across the board. And this was true whether it was public or private, whether they were directly or indirectly questioned clo in close or distant relationships, which is really interesting. A little bit of mixed findings in there, but in general, it, it negatively impacts both kinds of relationships across a range of relationships, friends and, and work colleagues, et cetera. The consequences for the emotional piece and the how we're managing our impressions that we're making on other people is a little bit mixed, meaning that hiding success appeared to decrease how envious these other people were, but also decrease their happiness, right? So I'm not as jealous of you because oh. I don't really know what happened good for you, but I'm also not very, oh, how could I be happy for you? I don't, you wanted to hide something from me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it also betrayal. It feels right. like it comes, comes off as a bit of betrayal almost. Right. A little bit. And it also decreased perceptions of competence and warmth, which is, ex which is both of those things that we were kind of initially worried about, but it increases perceptions of modesty. Well, that person at least is humble, which uh -huh. is an interesting other dialectic about like, Ooh, do I want to be do I want to be seen as braggy? And which do you value? Do you value being perceived right. as humble or competent? Right. right. And then that right. from your, by your friends. Interesting. And they didn't do a whole lot of conversation here about gender differences. That is definitely something I'm really yes. curious yeah. about. I wrote that down. That was what I was really curious about too. And uh, part of why, part of also why I think it's interesting is they did those paternalistic motives I mentioned earlier is this belief that the communicator assumes the target will be threatened by their success and that they're attempting to protect the target's feelings, which is the kind of the mechanism by which I then feel insulted that you didn't share it with me because you you think less of me and what I'm capable of. You think I'm going to be wounded. And so that's why I feel insulted, oh. which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, you, think I'm, you think poorly of me. You think I'm right. a petty person. You think you need to protect um, me. Yeah. Right. Because my, so, my emotions are so like sensitive and I'm so, right. I would automatically perceive negative thoughts about you. Yeah. I can understand how that would, that would yeah. piss me off too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the end, you, you were, you did think you were better than me, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. Right. So the consequences of hiding success and hiding failure, they explore that too, were similar, but it was more paternalistic motives. When you hide success, you're trying to protect me from what you assume 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to be petty about, which I was because I kept that dollar. And <laughs> it was interesting because they looked at um, this, this kind of process of whether you might have learned about the success from a third party, like in between you oh. hiding and keeping it from me and like mom coming around and saying like, oh, did you hear that your brother got a raise, right? Is worse if you eventually share it with me, but I already learned about it. It's going to be a little bit more insulting. I'm going to feel a little less close to you because I got that news anyways. Yeah. So the withholding positive information about yourself and your accomplishments, it damages, per this this research, damages your relationships more than sharing success does. Mm. And people we're close to feel more insulted and less close to us when we hide rather than share it. But we're also missing out on those capitalization benefits we talked about earlier that Mm -hmm. not only is it damaging the relationship and making me feel not very happy or or close to you, but also you've lost the opportunity to feel closer, to get more connected by sharing what's gone well for you. I want to know that that's part, a normative part of relationships is sharing what has gone well. So I think the takeaway is that if you have good news in this new year, you should be sharing it because it's not just good for you and you don't just reap additional benefits of that good news, but it's also good for your relationships and potentially prevents the damage to relationships that might happen if you hide your success. Absolutely. I mean, I think that that is a fantastic takeaway that not only does hiding good news per this research damage your relationships, but per other research that we've done, you miss out on the benefits of capitalization as well. So it's almost like a double double whammy. So even though there might be some consequences, they're minor. They're like, uh, you know, bits of sand compared Mm -hmm. to the benefits that we reap from Mm -hmm. sharing good news. Now, this also makes me think about Twitter brags. Have you guys ever heard of this before? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, there, there are ways to share good news that you don't sound like an a-hole for sure, but (laughs) so, you know, don't, don't purposefully go around sharing good news and and make, and making yourself sound like an a-hole. Interestingly, and and this is hard for me to do, especially in terms of like academic six, you know, professional success. Mm -hmm. And I was told by a mentor, this is something that junior faculty in particular really have to do now. It's not Mm -hmm. just enough to publish papers. It's not just enough to have these successes Mm -hmm. on paper. You have to make sure all of your colleagues know about it now. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. sharing that success in a way with your entire colleagues to not sound braggadocious, Mm -hmm. but also they need to know. So they give you tenure promotion in, in my and I'm right. sure other other uh, other fields too fields as as well mm-hmm. is a really interesting and challenging line for um, me to cross because it's not like I'm friends with people at, at work. I mean, you you're friends with some people at work. Obviously, I adore you guys, but it's a very interesting line mm-hmm. to try and share good information, but reap as little of those negative outcomes as possible. Patricia, isn't one of the reasons you adore me is because of my modesty? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I am just like so modest and so humble. You're not not humble. You're not humble. You're not not humble. You're well. I guess I could just say I don't have problem talking about my successes. That maybe that's what it is. 
Which, you, which I think also feeds into Sarah and I's original Culture. question about gender and how women mm-hmm. maybe, yeah. because at the beginning no, I was of gonna this, bring that up. They, they talk about how, you know, the reason why you withhold is because you want to be seen as, as warm. And I think women are socialized to the need to be perceived as warm is much higher and more intense for women than men. So it, it is interesting. Not only will it, would it be perceived differently for women than men, but the process of sharing good news might be easier for men than than for women. No, I would agree. I think that sometimes there is that expectation that women be more warm or more modest and that scene of sharing success can be well I mean I think it's probably a systemic factor to continue what do I want to say the patriarchy that's the word I'm looking for (laughs) on this on this (laughs) that is the word I'm looking for (laughs) woohoo boo Finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear relationship advice from our parents, family, and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and TV shows. And we read endless advice spewed at us on social medias, blogs, and numerous top 10 lists. But a lot of it just actually isn't good advice and really isn't good for our relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science, mind you, to decide if this advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us, Facebook us. Instagram us, slide into our DMs at Attached Podcast, or go to the attachedpodcast.com website and send us a direct message. While you're at it, please like and subscribe to our wonderful podcast on your favorite podcast app. And you can even go to YouTube and like and subscribe to these episodes there. So we have Fear Not Fellow Listeners. I'm channeling a little Bridgerton here. I have been scouring the, the social medias throughout the break to bring you the, the best and maybe the worst advice out there. So first, um, we have advice from at Brandon K. Good on Instagram. Brandon says, the other day, someone said to me, trust patterns, not words. And I am still shook. It's officially my 2021 motto, trust patterns, not words. I, I'm clearly not hip or anything, but I tried my best. So good or bad advice from Brandon Kyle Goodman. So Jacob, real quick, break down for me what you think is the difference between patterns and words. What, what you think the difference is between the two of them. So we know what we're talking about here. Yeah. So let me give you an example, right? Like, so if, if Chelsea comes to me and says, Hey, I need you to clean the litter boxes every Tuesday and Thursday. And I say, yes, of course, honey, I will love to clean the litter boxes for you. <laughs> and then I don't clean the litter boxes. And she comes again and says, Hey, would you please clean the litter boxes on Tuesday and Thursday? And I say, yes, of course I'll clean the litter boxes right? My words are saying, yes, this is what, trust me, I'm going to do this. Right. The actual pattern of behavior is such that I'm not doing that. So I, I think that is great advice to trust the patterns that you see more so than what somebody says, because saying something is pretty easy. Changing your pattern of interaction of behavior is much more difficult. So good advice from Brandon Woods. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's good advice. It's a little bit of a different way to say what we talk about in therapy is process versus content. Mm. We are, our goal as therapists is to focus less on what people are saying and more about how they're saying it. And then also how they're interacting with each other and the patterns of those relationships. What they're saying is the content and how Mm -hmm. they're saying it is the process. And how they're interacting with each other is the process. The patterns of their relationships, how they engage with each other is the more important goal to be focusing on. And then our goal is to help couples and families also make that shift to be thinking less about what is being said and more about how they are treating each other and connecting with each other. So yeah, I think this is really good advice. So good advice from both focus on patterns, not so much words or trust patterns and not so much work. Okay, so next we're going to move to Dr. Kate Humphreys. This is on Twitter. She says, this year, instead of pajamas after bedtime, I started dressing my kids in their clothes to wear for the next day. Morning tantrums reduced 30 to 50%. Passing it on in case it'll make 2021 a little easier for parents of young children. Good or bad advice? So I'm yet to be a parent of a young child. (laughs) So I will let you know when I try that. Like just reading it's like, Oh, but what happens if they like pee through their diaper in the middle of the night? Because that's what's happening to me right now. I like the spirit of the the idea. The spirit of the idea. Yes. Okay. Go on. In that, in that, like to try to change an outcome, think upstream. Like, what is creating this eventual outcome. Mm -hmm. So I like that, Mm -hmm. that like there's tantrums in the morning. So I'm going to intervene, not when there's a tantrum, but hours before, but I don't really know, depending on the kid, if that's actually going to work or not. So spirit of the advice, good actual advice, TBD. (laughs) So what's good or bad advice? I agree with Jacob. I think it's good advice. And I think it's a little bit like the process versus content distinction, Ah, yes. right? If you're thinking about the clothing issue specifically, you're missing the fact that she tried an alternative strategy to solve a problem that as a mom would be exhausting. And the outcome, 30 to 50% reduction in morning tantrums is like a sizable effect (laughs) that we would really, none of those eight studies, I think had an effect size of 50% change in behavior. And so I am really encouraged by the fact that she, she found a creative solution that honestly, if it doesn't bother her and it makes her kids happier, go to, because there, that might not be a strategy that I could do. That's another piece where the content or the specifics becomes less helpful. I couldn't like, I, it would bother me too much that my kid didn't sleep in pajamas and then didn't get into clean clothes in the morning, which means it's not an intervention that's going to help for me. If I follow this, specific words of the tactic, right? But if I follow the spirit of the intervention and I think outside the box and move upstream as Jacob's talking, that's definitely encouraging for parents. I really like that. Absolutely. I, the other thing I really like about this is one, she just offered the information, right? Like said, if this makes your 2021 better, you know, here, here's something that's helpful for me. I love it when people 
find little life hacks that, you know, to be frank, a lot of people could be judgmental about, right? But they see, they they don't care so much about that and they know it was genuinely helpful for them and they want to pass that forward. So while obviously that's not the advice, I really appreciated process of of how she gave the advice. Yeah, process of how she gave the advice. And it also makes us all think creatively, right? Like how do we make mornings better? How, how similarly, how can we make these other things better? And like you guys are saying, thinking upstream is really, really Mm -hmm. important. And just shout out to all of the people in Dr. Humphrey's mentions here. 99% of them are positive. So I just also want to shout out to people for not being Mm -hmm. a-holes and being judging Mm -hmm. about this as well, Mm -hmm. because if 2020 has taught us anything, we need to be more loving to Mm -hmm. each other and more gracious to each other. And I just love that people Mm -hmm. did that. And also it really is a great life hack. Also adults can use it too. Like <laughs> leggings can serve both as pants and pajamas. I'm not speaking Get up and go. personal experience, except that I am. So, you know, just find those hacks and, and live them and be proud with them. I love it. Another, another benefit of sharing success, right? Is what you're talking about is that her creativity inspires other creativity. Yes. And makes people feel like, ooh, I can try something new and different too. And you perceive her to be competent and warm and sharing. So it's a nice little example of Patricia, research. I would just like to like to thank you for setting me up for success because this is the first time Sarah Woods has agreed with me twice. And I feel <laughs> like twice in a row. And I feel very validated and very Aww. vindicated in- Vindicated? Uh, wow. Um, oh. I don't know. I just, <laughs> You guys are looking for another V word. Yeah, you also fun. feel like a virgin. <laughs> Touch for the very first time. By Sarah. Alliteration. Alliteration is that it's not that powerful. I think <laughs> just. A... Oh mercy, you guys. Um, well, that's really good news for you, Jacob. Hopefully, your 2021 is starting off uh, on it and it and really, on the right foot. On the right. It foot. is. Nice. On the correct foot. You can start left or right. No judgment. Thank you. Foot. You're welcome. So next we are going to move to the ticks and the talks, if you know what I mean. So this is from Ryder on TikTok and a little bit of background before we get into this one. On TikTok, you can do something called a stitch where it's someone else's video and then your video pops on and you comment basically on that, on that other person's video. So the original person video, this person was asked on TikTok how do I stop expecting stuff from my friends because I'm just hurting myself? And his response was that expectations are a huge mistake. So that's the background. And then we're going to see uh, what writer's response to that is. Expectations are a huge, huge mistake. This is a bad take. Gary, I appreciate you. I like a lot of your messaging, but this just isn't it. Expectations aren't the root issue. The root issue is uncommunicated expectation. If we do not communicate what we expect from other people, it is the breeding ground for resentment. To tell everyone to not have expectations of people, that's just not going to work. We need things from other people. We need to interact. It's what community is. We give, we share, we take. That's what humanity is. If I have friends, I'm going to expect things from them. If I have a partner, I'm going to expect things from them. That's not the issue. We have to communicate what we need and what we want from other people. Because if we don't do that, that's where the problem comes. 
And we have to realize that if somebody can't meet our expectations, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. It means they don't have enough capacity to meet us. And that's why we have multiple friends and multiple outlets of healing. Communication, communication. So good or bad advice from Ryder about expectations, communicating expectations specifically. Great advice from Ryder. I am going to say, come on the podcast. That's what we talk about all the time, right? (laughs) About being, having, communicating our expectations, understanding that not everybody's always going to be able to meet our expectations. So we can't put all of our relational expectations on one person. This is great advice. And I think his take on the previous video, his stitch as now, as the hip kids call it. As you now know. Oh, Jacob, you're so cool. (laughs) I know, I know. Oh, Um, beautiful. People and usually people pause before and after saying stitch. So you did that beautifully. Oh. Very natural. Very natural. I, I think that this idea that you're not going to have expectations of people, like get rid of all your expectations and you'll be free. No, that that is really bad advice. And Ryder was good to call that person out about that. So yes, communicate your expectations. Understand that when people don't meet those expectations, that doesn't mean they're bad people. Sometimes right. everybody gets overwhelmed. Also, one caveat, if there is a place where you've communicated your expectations and somebody with their words has said, yes, I will meet Mm. those expectations, but in their Mm. pattern has not met those expectations, then over and over and over again, maybe that is a time to reevaluate the type of relationship you have with that person because their pattern is teaching you something. But communicate expectations, great advice understanding and giving people grace, great advice. And also making sure that you have multiple people to rely on for the the needs and that sense of community that you have. Mm -hmm. Also really good advice. Good advice all across the board from Jacob. Uh, Mm -hmm. what, What you got? I also fully agree. And I appreciate Jacob's breakdown. It's a new year. I, I, <laughs> I, I cannot believe it's this. a I, new year. Jacob is like year. on like, fire. How do I put He's this so on vindicated. my CV? How do right, I put this on my CV of like, Sarah Woods agreed with me three times in a row. Three times. Three times. Personal communication. Yeah. I th- <laughs> and I actually, sorry, Sarah, I, I think I am going to, I'm going to take the blame for this. I didn't, maybe didn't find hard enough advice to like mm. divide you guys. Is it on me? No, I don't think so. I think okay. you've done a really nice job of collating some really good advice and some unique ideas here that even though we're agreeing on them are not necessarily things that you would see kind of shared very broadly. So it's a nice curated collection, Patricia. Yes. Well, now you, t- now you two are vindicated. <laughs> I fished. I fished hard for that compliment. So I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you giving it to me. That's so- good because you didn't hide your success and now we are closer. And we are and oh beautiful. Uh sorry. So what's good or bad advice? Yeah, very good advice. It's also science-based, right? So I it immediately makes me think of the work of Scott Stanley and Howard Markman, I think at University of Denver, who do a lot of research on expectations in relationships and and the the importance of being really clear and sharing those. But also, and I, I don't know that Jacob mentioned this facet especially, but so the only thing I would add is that 
sharing those expectations with friends or family or with uh, romantic partners. And what we're hoping that we can both be bringing to the relationship is helpful for clarifying where we have different expectations. So where we have different expectations is especially where problems might arise because I didn't know that that's what you were hoping from me. And also you didn't know that that's what I was hoping to get from the relationship. And here's how we can clarify some ideas about how we want to connect. Good advice. Really good advice. Second to last, this is on Twitter from Moy Michelle. She says, or more specifically at underscore Moy Michelle, she says, closure isn't real. Cut your hair, get a tattoo, rob a bank, start dating again. It would be nice, but it's not needed. And if you don't get your closure, understand you lack nothing to give yourself your own closure good or bad advice. And I think she's specifically referring to romantic relationships. Here. Yeah. I want to define my terms here before yes. I weigh in, right? The notion of closure, as I understand it, is the concept that once you have ended a romantic relationship, there becomes a singular point where you have officially moved on, okay. right? I think that in this case, that's good advice. I don't think that there's necessarily we reach a point where we have lost a relationship and all of a sudden that door has closed. We no longer feel any attachment. We no longer think about it. We no longer like have that be a part of us. But I also think that there can be a point where the reactivity associated with that relationship no longer fuels us, right? So, so I think that- Reactivity to what? Talk a little bit like emotional reactivity. So like reactivity. say if you got your heart broken, yeah right? You might react because of that in certain ways, mm-hmm. right? You may, you may go cut your hair, rob a bank, do all those types of things, right? Start dating again, just to show the other person that you're mad. Right. And that react- breakup. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. That reactivity can subside across time, but I don't think you ever come to a point where I had this very important relationship in my life. And now that doesn't affect me anymore. It's still a part of my story. It's still a part of my narrative. Mm-hmm. It still has influenced me and shaped how I see and view the world, especially if it was an important relationship. But that doesn't mean that like, it's no longer there. It's not a part of me. It means that the reactivity, I think closure is this idea of the reactivity over time has faded or my ability to respond to when I see that person walking down the street is not gonna be one where I totally am overwhelmed with anxiety but that I can see them and acknowledge that they were important part of my life without having it becoming overwhelming or all consuming. Right. So my, so how I see closure is that, or in like pop culture, closure sometimes is like a conversation with that person about why that relationship went bad is how sometimes closure is, is perceived. But I also like what you're talking about is closure is like this long-term process where you're not as emotionally reactive to the hurt caused by that relationship, which I think is what she's talking about, right? Like you can process that on your own. You don't necessarily need that direct conversation with that person who broke your heart as to why and what happened. Exactly. Exactly. So good advice. Good advice. Yeah. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So the process of reducing reactivity over time, which is what she's alluding to, is good advice. Woods, good or bad advice? I agree. Good advice. Uh, And I think what... (laughs) Four. Four for four. 
I think what Jacob's talking about, he is describing really nicely in connection to this idea about romantic relationships, but is also the same process that I would talk about in terms of like any kind of grief or loss. And we've talked about before on this podcast last season, we talked about the fact that closure is a myth. It's a really strongly culturally perpetuated myth that there should be some terminal end point to the process of loss and grief. And so Jacob and Moi Michelle, forget her exact Twitter handle, but this lady is talking about in terms of dating, but I think in, in terms of all kinds of loss, it's there is an evolution to how that pain and that reactivity that Jacob's talking about can be experienced. But there is no, there's no clear end point. The only piece about this that I would say is bad advice is maybe the robbing a bank. <laughs> and so when Jacob wanted to define terms, I thought maybe he was interested in like what rob a bank meant, but he didn't go there. So that's the only piece that I'm going to pull out is is criminal behavior is not like the healthiest next step. Mm-hmm. Hair, hair, tattoo, start dating again, go to. Okay, so good advice with the exception of robbing a bank, which I think we can all stand behind. I mean, I can, Jacob. <laughs> I'm, I'm still on the fence about it. I'll, <laughs> I don't, I haven't seen any studies that have shown that if you randomly criminal assign people to rob a bank after a breakup, whether or not oh. they get closure more so than uh, those who did not. So thank you. Thank you, IRB. Jeez <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Louise IRB holding us back on the real science here. Last but certainly not least, um, final TikTok at Danielle underscore Amber. And this is a woman who I believe is a, a linguist or some sort of experts in, in multiple languages talking about how different, how different languages say the kind of the phrase I am happy and her interpretation of that this is a really good question so the irish word for happy is allhus and say i am happy you'd say to allhus girl in other languages like english you say i am whatever the emotion is so the emotion becomes you and in other languages like spanish you say i have the emotion tienes feliz or whatever but in Irish, you say to all this urim, happiness is upon me. Um, and to say, I am incredibly happy, you would say to all this undarum urim, the happiness of the world is on me. So I always interpret that to mean emotions are fluid and it doesn't define you based on what your emotion is, which I think is pretty beautiful. So I'm not really sure if that's advice or not, but I wanted your reflections on on that good or bad interpretation of how to view this language, but also emotions and how we think about emotions. First of all, that was a very soothing TikTok. I don't know, like listening to it, watching, I was like, oh, I just feel relaxed. And the beautiful Irish language that she used there, I was like, speak to me. Like that's because you're going to master that accent. Also, is that your next? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I am Irish by descent. That is where my ancestors come from. So maybe I should explore my family of origin a little bit more and master that accent. But I love this advice, this idea that emotions are fluid, right? Mm. And I think that's important to remember because often good or bad, and I don't like labeling emotions like that, but that's how they're talked about frequently. Those types of emotions we feel are all consuming and should be present all the time. But really 
as we go throughout our lives, as we go throughout relationships, the emotions we feel are going to be fluid. They are going to come and go. And understanding that as a part of those relationships, I think is key. And I need to get on TikTok just to follow those soothing TikToks now so I can fall asleep to that wonderful Irish accent. <laughs> so, so good advice, good interpretation. What? Mm-hmm. I agree. I think good advice. I have a colleague that I work with who is my former supervisor who reminds me of this quite a bit, that we are not our emotions. Yeah. And so we get to experience them and be present to them, but also stand separate from them. They don't own us or define us. And you can interpret the fact that she says that to me often, whatever way you would like to. <laughs> but I, in terms of relationships, I use this idea a lot for myself in parenting to soothe myself that when I start to get distressed because my child is distressed, sometimes I will out loud remind both of us that emotions are temporary and the fact that my child gets dysregulated or upset or angry or frustrated or is crying, that that is not, it's not even going to last many minutes, at least at this stage, developmentally where she's at, that I have to be present to that and that will be temporary. And so trying to kind of move in too quickly and fix that robs her of the opportunity to learn self-regulate and reminding myself of that idea helps me to self-soothe in the moment. I don't know if the joy I'm experiencing of being supported by Sarah Woods five out of five times will ever go away. I feel like I am, I am happy. Not happiness is upon me. I am happy. You are. Now you are happiness. I, have, I am happiness now that Sarah Woods has validated my thoughts five times in a row. Thank You're you, welcome. Patricia, for <laughs> advice in which we can agree. Thank you, Sarah Woods, for making me feel whole again. You're welcome. Now it's time to get that tattoo. It's just my name. Yeah. My name. And it makes me happy. And just, and just for us to revisit the entire point of this podcast is to validate Mm. Jacob. You know, I'm just so (laughs) glad we can, we can get there. With science. With With science, science, mind you. Because he's who we're attached to. (laughs) Oh, Oh, mercy. Well, on that note, I hope everyone has a fantastic 2021 and happiness can be upon all of you at some point during 2021. So thank you for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get at us on all those social medias about relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. I cannot wait to talk to you.